as human beings, we are hungry for power. We have a soft spot for power. Power can become a great temptation for us. And we can easily, easily misuse it. We have seen the effects of the misuse of power uh, this week uh, on our nation's uh, capital as a violent mob attacked our capital building. And no matter what political spectrum uh, we belong to or we come from, violence or the misuse of power is never acceptable. And it's not only the violent forms of power that um, should be avoided. There are also other more subtle forms of misuse of power. Any forms of manipulation or pressures or threats are to be shunned entirely. Leaders can exert power with a heavy hand and be abusive in their exercise of power. Sadly, the political and social realm of, of our nation uh, has reminded us and given us too many examples in recent times of the misuse of power. But there's also misuses of power in religious organizations as well. Even churches. Either pastors or just church members can try to exert power in sinful ways. Because of our sin, power can be easily misused. Because of our sin, power can be easily misunderstood. But despite these dangers of misusing or misunderstanding power, as believers, we need the power of God in our lives. But the power of God in our lives is so different, so different than the way the world expects to exert or experience power. Uh, the power of God in our lives is so different than, than what even sometimes we as Christians, humanly speaking, we might expect the power of God to be working. And this is Paul's aim in his second prayer that he prays for the believers at Ephesus that we want to look at this morning. Paul's prayer in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 is focused on the theme of power. But it is nothing close to what our world would expect of the manifestation of power. The power of God in the lives of Christians is employed to ends that are very different than what we expect as human beings. The power of God in our lives is employed to ends that may catch us by surprise. So I'd like to invite you this morning to open God's Word and to look at the theme of praying for power. How does the Apostle Paul pray for power? And what, he, what we see in the passage that we're about to read is going to reveal the purposes of the power of God in our hearts, and these purposes will reveal the priorities that the Apostle Paul has for believers. So I invite you to open God's Word to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we'll be reading from verse 14 to verse 21. As we look at this passage, we're in a very short um, oasis 
at the beginning of this year as we're looking to some of Paul's prayers and we're seeking to learn priorities uh, from the prayers of Paul. Uh, this morning, let's hear God's word. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word, word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you join me in prayer, asking God to bless the proclamation of his word and the hearing of his word? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we have read your word, we want to stand ready to understand it. So we ask for your assistance, the assistance of your Holy Spirit in the proclamation of the word and in the hearing of your word. Make it and cause it to be fruitful. Father, for the name of Christ, for his glory and honor, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Priorities from Paul's prayers. Particularly this morning, we are looking at the priority of the need for power. It's not the first time in this letter that Paul prays for the believers at Ephesus. And it's not the first time that he tells us what he is praying for them. In the first chapter of this letter, Paul began with prayer and told us that he is praying for believers, uh, particularly in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. He asked God to grant believers a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God in such a way that their eyes of their hearts uh, would be enlightened and as a result of that spiritual understanding, as a result of that, they may grasp three benefits. The hope, the inheritance, and uh, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards believers. Now, in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is praying that God would give believers his power. The one that, uh, that he prayed in chapter 1 that believers would understand, now Paul prays that God would grant it to them. It is not enough simply to know about God's power. We need to ask God to grant us His power so that we may experience it. And this is the purpose of, of this second prayer in this book of Ephesians. Paul's prayer has two major parts to it, and this structure forms the outline of the message this morning. If you like taking notes, the two points are, pray to God for His power. Pray to God for His power. And the second part 
of this prayer is praise God for His power. Praise God for His power. Let me give you a warning. If last week's message, the first point was the shortest, in today's message, the first point will be the longest, and the second point will be the shortest. So if you get uh, to 5 before 12 and we're still on point 1, don't, don't worry. Number one, pray to God for His power. Pray to God for His power. Seeing Paul praying that God would grant believers power is not surprising. Especially if you were a believer living in the city of Ephesus in the first century. Ephesus was known as a place where magic and various pagan forms of spiritual powers were widely practiced and pursued. You remember in the book of Acts uh, how the gospel came to Ephesus. In Acts 19, we're told that as a result of the preaching of the gospel, many people became converted. Many people became followers of Jesus Christ. And listen to what resulted among those who began believing in Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of the description in Acts 19, verses 19 and 20. And a number of those who had practiced magic and magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Ephesus was a place where magic and spiritual darkness manifested itself through people pursuing all kinds of expression of, of powers. And uh, believers in Ephesus needed to know that God's power is for their sake. And that God's power is greater than any of the powers that their fellow citizens were pursuing in their city. So the point of praying for power in a city like Ephesus is not surprising. What is surprising is what is the purpose of that power? And how is it to be manifested? What is the purpose for the power of God for these believers? How does the Apostle Paul envision the power of God to be at work for the believers? And the answer to this question surprises us. Look at verse 16. The details. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Here's another translation of verse 16. Out of His infinite glory, may He give you the power through His Spirit for your hidden self to grow strong. Uh, the effect of the power of God is not for believers to show off before others what they can do. It's not power to perform bigger and better miracles or to show off their superiority to the magicians and the practitioners of, of pagan powers in Ephesus. It is not power so that they get the attention on themselves or to draw a crowd 
or to build a platform or to get people to follow them. Notice what is the purpose of this power. It is power so that these believers would be strengthened in their inner being. This shows the priority the Apostle Paul places on believers growing strong, not outwardly, not physically, though there is nothing wrong to grow in strength outwardly or physically. But this prayer request is for the believers to grow in strength in their inner beings, in their souls, in their hearts, in the place that is unseen and unnoticed by others physically. This kind of growth is harder to see, isn't it? It's easier to see when you grow outwardly or in physical strength. You can track how much weight you can pump. I'm not talking about the way you can put on. I'm talking about the way you can pump. So you can actually develop or, or think through the, the progression of your physical strength. It's easy to track down how long you can run and how your endurance, physically speaking, is growing. You can even go and get your blood tests so you can get your blood results and see how healthy or strong your physical body is. We know how to take care of strengthening our physical body. But what about our inner being? Do we care about whether or not our inner being is being strengthened? Do we pay attention to what is happening in our inner being? Our inner being is where our affections dwell, where our thinking takes place, where our will is processed and becomes active, leading us to act in specific ways. Our inner being refers to the realm of our affections, our thinking, and our will. Uh, during this time of the pandemic, all of us have a heightened sense of uh, making sure that we stay safe, that we protect our physical well-being. All of us uh, take some form of precaution uh, to ensure that we say that we stay safe. But I wonder how many of us have similar heightened sense of precaution to make sure that our inner being is also safe, that our inner being is also well cared for. I wonder if you care about your outer physical wellness just as much as you care about your inner being and wellness. Uh, Paul prays for God's power to be given to us so that we may be strengthened in our inner being. And the strengthening happens through the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God needs to be at work in our lives to bring about the strengthening in our inner beings. So the Apostle Paul prays for this. This is what he petitions God for. I wonder if this is something that you are praying for as well, either for your own self uh, or for others around you. Paul gives us some of the effects of what the strengthening of the inner being produces in us. Uh, these effects of the inner 
strength for the inner being uh, are laid out for us in verses 17 through 19. We might even say, what, are, what is the object? What is the target of the power of God manifesting or strengthening our inner being? What is it for? And we can see three objects of the power of God strengthening our inner being. Three objects. Object number one, Christ would dwell in us through faith. That Christ would dwell in us through faith. Notice what Paul says in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the first object of why the power of God is aimed to strengthen our inner beings so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Now, the dwelling of Christ in our hearts is not referring here to the initial experience of salvation. Rather, at this moment, it is talking about the ongoing indwelling of Christ in us so that we may realize and act and live our lives based on the ongoing indwelling of Christ in our hearts. But just to be clear, a Christian is someone who used to be dead in their sins. A Christian is someone who used to be powerless, completely powerless towards the things of God. Not only powerless towards the things of God, but actually inimical or rebellious against the things of God. And when the Spirit of God comes into such a being through the proclamation of the gospel, through the proclamation of the Word of God, that being, that person who is dead in sin, becomes alive. Uh, the life of Christ begins taking root in that being. Outwardly, what we see is repentance and faith. Inwardly, that is called regeneration. That, the process of bringing someone to life spiritually. And the result of that is that Christ begins to dwell in our hearts. That is, that is what takes place, uh, takes place at the moment of conversion. So that to be a Christian is to have the Spirit of God in us in such a way that Christ dwells in our hearts. Someone who does not have the Spirit of God in them, someone who does not have Christ dwelling in them through the Spirit, is not a Christian. No matter how many good things someone may do. But the dwelling of Christ in our hearts is not only the, the, the beginning of our Christian walk, that initial experience of, of making us become Christians, but the dwelling of Christ in our hearts is also an ongoing reality. And we need to be strengthened in our inner beings so that we have power to continue to believe that Christ dwells in us as we are strengthened in our inner beings with God's power. That strength fuels our faith to believe that indeed Christ dwells in our hearts, and so that we may actually experience the power of the dwelling of Christ in our hearts to affect the way we live, to affect the way we respond to various challenges, so that we don't respond on our own strength, but that we respond remembering that Christ dwells in us. So what is the power of God for? It's so that we may be strengthened to believe that Christ dwells in us. The power of God in our hearts is for the dwelling of Christ 
to happen regularly in increasing ways. This is the first object of the power of God in believers. Imagine if you are upset about a situation, about circumstances that are happening, about a person that you're interacting with, be it your children or even your spouse or even other family members or friends or fellow church members or co-workers. Our natural tendency in such moments is to try to respond with, uh, with a means or with a strategy that is often in our own strength to fix the situation, to deal with it. And we respond often with frustration, with anger, with uh, hopelessness or other sinful forms. But imagine if in those moments our inner being would have the strength to believe and hold on to the reality that Christ dwells in us in that moment, in that circumstance. And we don't need to respond to the situation on the challenges as if that challenge depends on our strength to fix it, on our strategy to bring about a change. If Christ dwells in us, we can take our cues from Him and let Him guide us in how to respond and how He can ultimately change a situation or how He can give us the, the strength to persevere through the, the circumstances that we don't enjoy or don't like. Imagine the rest that we can experience by remembering and believing and holding on to the reality that Christ dwells in our hearts when we are overwhelmed or afraid or angry. But it takes faith. It takes faith not to act on our own strength, but to act based on the dwelling of Christ in us so that we don't face the situations, we don't face the challenges alone. We need the power of God to strengthen us in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in us through faith. Another way of saying this is you and I need the power of God so that we can believe that Christ dwells in us in every situation, in every circumstance, so that we can respond to people and circumstances not on our own strength, but on the strength that comes with the dwelling of Christ in us. As one Bible teacher put it, if Christ has taken up residence in our hearts, He is at the center of our lives and, and exercises His rule over all that we are and do. How do we let our inner beings or our hearts be a dwelling home for Christ? It is by trusting in Him. It is by dwelling on Him. It is by relying on Him. That is what faith is. Faith is an active trust and reliance upon Christ. This is what we need, and this is why we need the power of God for our ability to trust in Christ daily so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. Are you asking God for power so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith in increasing ways? It's a wonderful prayer to ask the Lord for. And I encourage you to be keeping this prayer request in your mind, in your quiet time this week and the weeks of this year, not only for yourself, but for others as well. If the first object of the power of God is for the dwelling of Christ in our hearts, 
Notice the second object of the power of God to strengthen our inner beings. It says, so that we may grow in grasping the love of Christ for us. That we may grow in grasping the love of Christ for us. Look again at verse 17. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Do you see in this verse the explicit purpose of why we need to be strengthened? We need the power of God to be strengthened in our inner being so that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the love of Christ. It's a bit ambiguous and debatable, uh, and commentators debate what is the object of the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. There's a number of theories of what the object of that, of this measurement is, but it is most likely that this refers to what is explicitly given in the next sentence, namely, the love of Christ. This means that Paul prays for believers to grow in their understanding of the love of Christ in all its dimensions, in its breadth, in its length, in its height, in its depth. It's a love that surpasses knowledge, we are told. In other words, we cannot exhaust the knowledge of Christ's love for us. We cannot exhaust the knowledge of Christ's love for us. When you think you've understood it or know it well enough, you have not exhausted it. To be a Christian is to be rooted, to be founded and grounded in love, to come to know and to understand and embrace the love of, of Christ for us as he died on the cross for sinners like you and me, if we turn and repent from our sins, to understand the love of Christ for us in that way is indeed one of the first experiences we must have in order to become a Christian. But we should not stop at this initial experience of being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. This is the, this is the second reason why we need the power of God, so that we don't plateau and stop in our continued search and pursuit of knowing the love of Christ for us. It's as if the Apostle Paul says, being grounded and being rooted in love may be the initial experience of what it means to become a Christian. But don't stop there. You need the power of God to continue to search and, and seek and pursue to understand the immeasurable vastness of the love of Christ for us. Dear friend, if you are a Christian, you are already rooted and, and grounded in love, in the love of God for us in Jesus, in the love of Christ for us as he died in the, on the cross. But we need the power of God to strengthen us so that we don't plateau and stop at that initial understanding that we would continue to grow in our grasp of the immeasurable love of Christ for us. This is not a prayer to help us love God more. This is a prayer to help us grasp the vastness of God's love for us. And notice that the ongoing pursuit of understanding the love of Christ for us is not a solo experience. I'm not sure if you 
saw that in the text. It is not a private experience. It is not an isolated experience. I wonder if you notice the detail that the strength to comprehend the love of Christ is with all the saints. Did you see that in the text? The comprehension of the love of Christ for us is a communal, corporate comprehension. When you see someone who has acted in rebellious ways that seem to you more radical or more socially off the charts, and yet the Lord saves that person and sanctifies that person despite the shortcomings, despite the stumblings, you come to grips with a new dimension or depth of the love of Christ for us in that other person. The isolated Christian, said one brother, the isolated Christian can indeed know something of the love of Jesus, but his grasp of it is bound to be limited by his limited experience. It needs a whole people of God to understand the whole love of God, all the saints together, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, young and old, black and white, with all their varied backgrounds and experiences. Oh, friends, we grow in understanding and comprehend the love of Christ for us with all the saints. Uh, we, we experience more powerfully the vastness and the multifaceted nature of the love of Christ for us when we actually get to see that love or the need for that love manifested in the lives of other believers, in the lives of our community as a church, in the lives of, of people living in, in one body, as, as one body related to one another in Christ. Have you considered that your commitment to other saints is one of the mechanisms that God wants to use to help you grow in your understanding of the love of Christ for us? Joining a church, being committed to others in a, in a membership covenant, in a covenant of love towards one another, is not only so that you can say that you have a church home. It's not only for your uh, general spiritual maturity. It's specifically used by the Lord to help you grow in, the, in understanding and comprehending the vastness of the love of Christ for us. The first two ob objects of the power of God in us are the dwelling of Christ in our hearts and the love of Christ for us. But what's a third object? Why is the Apostle Paul praying that believers may have the power of God to be strengthened in their inner beings? The third object is, and this is the climactic object of, of these three reasons, is that we may be filled with the fullness of God. That we may be filled with the fullness of God. Look at verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is why Paul is praying for God to give us his power to be strengthened in our inner beings. Full, to be filled with the fullness of God. Paul brings up the theme of the fullness of God in believers several times in this letter to the Ephesians. In chapter 1, Paul described the church as the body of Christ, as the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Then in chapter 4, Paul will tell us that Christ gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip God's people for the works of service. 
And that equipping and that serving has one ultimate purpose. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 12, and 13, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, from these two references, we learn that the church is already called to be the fullness of Him who fills all things, namely Christ. At the same time, the church is on an ongoing journey to grow in the fullness of Christ as we stay connected to our head and as we stay connected to one another. And now here in this prayer, Paul asks God to give us His power to be strengthened so that we would be full, filled with the fullness of God. We need the power of God in order to be filled with the fullness of God. God desires for His fullness to show up in our lives, in the fullness of our lives. The fullness of God wants to fill every life, every corner of our life, every corner of our thinking, every corner of our desires, every corner of our hopes, every corner of our actions, every corner of our words, every corner of our relationships. God wants to give us His power so that we may be filled with, with the fullness of God. Oh, friends, I wonder if how you think of yourself, how you think of your life, has this aim and goal to be filled with the fullness of God. As we are still thinking through the, the year that just barely started, I wonder what you want this year to be full of for you. May we take this encouragement and this object, why Paul prays for power, power so that we may be filled with the fullness of God. And if you're wondering practically, what does that look like? What does that mean? What are the practical applications of, the, of experiencing the fullness of God? The rest of the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 through 6, is filled with applications. Paul begins by, by encouraging believers to consider how they live their moral lives, a moral, moral life of God's purity, how they submit to one another, how they submit to those in authority over them. And these specific applications are laid out for us in chapters 4, 5, and 6, which I encourage you to go home and read for yourself and meditate as, as an example, as an outflowing of the, of the application of what it means to be filled with the fullness of God. But the big principle is that God intends for believers to be filled with the fullness of God. I wonder, I wonder what are you aspiring to be full of? Full of dreams? Full of hopes? Full of yourself? Full of influence? Full of power over others? Paul is praying for the power of God to be at work to strengthen believers in those places that others cannot see. It's as if Paul says, I want for you the power of God, but I don't want it for you in the way that you often expect it or want it. Not for a purposes that you often want it. It's not to show your superiority over others. I want you 
Experience the power of God so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Well, friends, these are the three objectives or the three objects or targets why Paul prays for power for believers. But notice that Paul's prayer is also moving towards praising God. And Paul closes this prayer with praising God for his power. Notice in the second point of our message, the second major point of the sermon, notice what Paul focuses on as he praises God for his power. Several elements uh, highlight what Paul focuses on. Here are three of those elements. Because God's power can do more than what we ask or understand. Paul praises God for his power because God's power can do more than what we ask or understand. By the way, the, the prayer that I regularly uh, pray at the end of the pastoral prayer, Sunday after Sunday, here in the services, are exactly these verses, verse 20 and verse 21. The God that we pray to is a God able to do more than we ask or imagine. Now, this is what why Paul helps us to focus our attention toward the Lord. His power is beyond what we can fathom. It is beyond what we can understand. Does this mean that God will always do more than what we ask or think? No. The purpose of God may be different, bigger than what we may ask for or think. Imagine that this prayer that Paul gives, and even this reason for praising God, who is able to do more than what we ask or think, is, is given by Paul while he was a prisoner. While he was in prison. That's how earlier in chapter 3, Verse 13, Paul says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. God is not acting in Paul to free him as a prisoner. We might say, Lord, if, if you're the God who's able to, to do more than we can ask or imagine, does that mean that God will do everything? Hope of ours, every imagination of ours. No. Sometimes what we ask for could be asked for wrong reasons, even if it's a good thing. Sometimes what we ask for is asking for wrong things. Sometimes even if we have the right motivation and we ask for the right thing, it's not in God's timing. The Lord has reasons why he may choose not to answer our petitions and requests. But nevertheless, we are to consider the Lord and reflect on the Lord being the God who is able to do all and more and far beyond all that we ask or think or comprehend. Oh, friends, I pray that we may see in God a God who is indeed able to do more than what our minds can consider or understand about God. Another reason, another element why, God, why Paul praises God for his power is because he's already at work among his people. Look at verse 20. According to the power at work within us. 
Paul wants the believers to be fully conscientious, aware, and believing that God is at work among us. God is at work in Paul while he's in prison. God is at work among these believers as they were facing a city that was hostile and full of, of threats of magical powers. God is at work in believers. The Apostle Paul wants us to understand that about the Lord. And thirdly, another reason why we can praise God for His power is because God's power aims to bring glory to Him both in Jesus Christ and also in the church. Look at verse 21. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, we are not surprised to see that God exerts His power in such a way that He brings glory in Jesus Christ. The surprising element here is that God shows His power in order to bring glory to Himself, not only in Jesus, but also through the church. Did you catch that? The glory of God in Jesus Christ is widely uh, as described in the New Testament, but here the glory of God is also intended to be manifested in the church. Friends, if you've ever thought that the church is somehow a second thought for God, or an optional experience, or just a means of maturing believers, listen to this great dignity and value ascribed to the church. God intended to show His glory, not only in Jesus, but also in the church. As one Bible teacher put it, as the community of the redeemed, both Jews and Gentiles, the church is the masterpiece of God's grace. It is the realm of His presence and authority, the instrument through which His wisdom is made known to the spiritual powers in the heavenly realm. No wonder that the church is also the arena where the glory of God is manifested so that His power glorifies God in the church. Friends, this is why, as a pastor, I devote myself to the life of the local church. This is why the elders serve together. We keep one another accountable, and together we encourage one another to care well for the church of God. This is why we can care deeply about um, who is a member of the church and why we have a membership seminar and promote a meaningful church membership because God's intent is to glorify Himself through the church. We want to make sure that people understand that those associated with the name of Jesus uh, are, are pursuing the glory of God in their lives, so that the Spirit of God strengthens them and fills them with the fullness of God. We want the name of Jesus to be associated with those who desire to glorify God and to live their lives in the fullness of God. So why does Paul praise God for his power? Because his power is beyond what we can understand or ask. Because his power is, at, is already at work within us. Because his power brings glory through Jesus, and also through the church. The reason why God displays His glory both in Christ and in the church should not surprise us here in the letter of Ephesians. Because here it is very clear, Paul has taught us that the church is the body of Christ. So if Christ is going to glorify God, if God is glorified through Jesus, God is also going to be glorified through the church because Jesus and the church are one body. 
at the end of the day, the boasting about power, dear friends, should not be boasting about our church, should not be boasting about us, should not be boasting about what we can do. At the end of the day, the boasting about God's power should be about God. Even though Paul has prayed for believers to have the power of God, the praise is not due to us. The praise is not due even to the church. The praise is due to God. And it would be a great temptation for the church to begin to love more the idea of the power of God for itself as if the ultimate aim of glory and boasting is the power of the church. Oh no, the power should be the power of God. That's why it's beautiful that the Apostle Paul focuses and ends at the end of this prayer on the theme of power to boast and praise God for his power. We started this message with some examples of wrong uses of power and with challenging us to consider some unexpected aims of how God wants to use his power in us. The power of God in us, dear friends, is not to put the spot, spotlight on our outward experiences, but on our inner strength, those areas, those realms that people can't see easily. But it's in those realms that the dwelling of Christ ought to abound. It's in those realms that our comprehension of the love of Christ ought to grow. It's in those realms that the fullness of God continues to gain more ground in our hearts. And through such abounding, God glorifies himself both in Jesus and in the church. May we be a people who desire the power of God for the right reasons. And may the power of God fill us and strengthen us so that we can live for his glory. Let's pray. Father, you are powerful. You are greater in power than all that we can understand or fathom about you. Father, grant us your power to be strengthened in our inner beings so that we may respond and live, think and desire, hope and dream, and act in such ways that you would be glorified both in Christ and through us as your church. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray for his glory and honor. Amen.